you're listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Hello and welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. I am your host Gemma and today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by our brand new Chief Executive Martin Tugwell to talk all about his first few weeks in the role, his priorities for the coming months and a look at the year ahead. So hello Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi Gemma, it's a delight to be with you and I have to say it's been a delightful first month as well having joined uh, team tfn fantastic well we're so glad to have you on board so why don't you start for our listeners uh, giving us a little brief insight into your background and tell us how you found your first few weeks at transport for the north so i'm somebody Gemma, who's um, worked in regional um, strategic uh, thinking for the best part of the last 20 years uh, i passionately believe that there is uh, there are some things where you need to take a strategic view um, and so joining TFN and becoming the chief exec was kind of a, a an obvious th- uh, thing for me to, to go for. Uh, what I've been struck by as I've joined is the, the warmth of the welcome, uh, both from the team itself, but also a really uh, warm welcome from all the, uh, the TFN board members and our key partners. And what's come through that all the way through consistently is the belief and the passion that underpins the work that TFN does. The sense that there is something here which joins us and brings us together and something worth fighting for. And the work that we're doing as as TFN is, is, is our opportunity to map out not just what's important for the North, but how we work together to then deliver it. You referenced there, um, you know, the the strategic importance. Of course, you've joined us from England's Economic Heartland, another subnational transport body. What does that experience uh, bring bring to the table for you? Um, well, it brings um, an experience. So I think uh, what I would say is uh, is is what drives me in all of the work I've done, and and then previously I've worked for. Uh, regional assemblies and regional development agencies. There are three things that I think you really need to do at a, at a regional level. One is there are some projects, and and in my past role it was East West Rail, but in in the new role it's things like Northern Powerhouse Rail, where they are so significant and they stretch across boundaries, working together as local authorities and partners with the business community through the local enterprise partnerships. It's absolutely at the heart of what's going to make a difference. Secondly, there are common issues which all authorities um, face, um, issues about how do you do things, the skills, the knowledge, the expertise, the experience of identifying a problem, developing a solution, getting a business. So common examples, sort of things where there are uh, experiences where sharing knowledge, providing support for partners allows us to do things better and more quickly. And of course, if we can accelerate things like delivery, we realise the benefits both for people who use them and also the economy. And finally, the third thing that's always driven me is this sense, the power of having a single voice from the region that can then go into government and recognising that at the end of the day, there are going to be some decisions that only government can make. And of course, Gemma, I should, you know, even though I've only been here a month, I should make the point that both the strategic transport plan and the future travel scenarios are award winning pieces of work. 
cutting edge within our profession. And I've worked across quite a large part of, uh, of England over the years. And, and I have to say, one of the things that has struck me um, coming to Transport for the North is, and I, and I say this with, with, with a bit of trepidation, because normally you wouldn't associate this, but we kind of hide our light under the bushel. Some of this stuff we've got in terms of the analytical framework, the work we're doing on Northern Powerhouse Rail, the work we've done on future travel scenarios, decarbonisation, it's absolutely at the cutting edge. And I've sat in many meetings over my career where uh, people have said, well, we need to do things better. We need to join up land use planning with transport. We need to do this. And I'm sat here now having joined Team TFN thinking we're doing it. We're not just talking about it. We're doing it. And so what are my um, what are my uh, you know, one of the roles I've, I, I have to play is to make sure that our leadership professionally uh, across the country is kind of given a higher profile because it needs to be seen for what it is. Cutting edge thought leadership, which is actually um, doing that much vaunted evidence based vision led approach to deliver real change. And 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 like I said, it, it, it's not something I would necessarily have thought of the North being uh, hiding their light under the bushel, but we have and we need to be better at singing our own praises. You referenced at the, the start that you saw it as a, an exciting time to, to join Transport for the North. It's obviously something that you were uh, very interested in doing. Now, it, I never let it be said that we uh, we don't love a challenge at Transport for the North and there is potentially uh, uncertain times still to be faced. Um, so why did you see this as, as such a, an interesting and important opportunity for, for you and for the, the people and residents of the North? So I, I've worked with uh, members of the TFN team over the years through the network of subnational transport bodies and before that, the network of regional assemblies, I have to say as well. And so I know the types of people, the knowledge, the skills, the experience, and also the ambition that they have. Um, and I'm somebody who, uh, by nature, I, I love to uh, to make sure that we try and do things, that we make a difference. Um, that you have to challenge received wisdom sometimes. And you do that by having um, an evidence base, by having the tools and the skills to be able to use those tools. And one of the things that I've always known is the leadership that uh, TFN have had in terms of things like the technical team, the analytical framework that we've got, the team working on Northern Powerhouse Rail. It's an incredibly um, powerful team of, of, of professionals who can actually set out the arguments. And so coming and joining the team, being able to, to build upon that work and to be able to maybe uh, see how we can explore that even further uh, was just such an exciting opportunity, particularly given that over the next few years, we're going to be faced with some quite difficult challenges because we know that how we've used transport in the last few years isn't sustainable in the long term. But we also know that transport is fundamental to allowing people to realise their economic potential. Uh, there are still, though, too many people for whom transport is actually a barrier to finding some of those opportunities. So in that world in where you're trying to square the circle of how do you enable economic growth? How do you realise it in a way that is sustainable? How do you decarbonise the transport system? I'm absolutely clear that 
as professionals, we've got a real leadership role that's not only technical, I'd almost argue it's a moral leadership because we've got some huge challenges and we can provide that leadership and advise our uh, political and business leaders to help them make some uh, make the decisions that they need to uh, in facing to those difficult challenges. That background, Gemma, it's just it's just a, a, an incredibly inspiring um, uh, opportunity, uh, and and I was absolutely delighted when having gone through the process, I was offered the role, and it didn't take me uh, any time at all to say yes. Well, we're we're glad that you did, Martin, and. Um really interesting there you obviously reference you know the opportunity to to make a difference and your your thinking on it being a, a, a moral obligation and a moral opportunity to enhance life um for for our people and to improve opportunities for for them and our businesses um as you say is what is why we're doing this to bring it to life it's not uh, transport for transport's sake as uh, as we like to say Having got your feet under the table then for um, just over a month or so, you figured out who we are, what we're all about, got your fingers in all those different pies across NPR, strategic rail, got in with the roads team, understood everything that's going on at TFN. How do you set out your priorities now for the next few months? Look, there's some very uh, sort of immediate challenges and, and, and I've come in uh, at a time where we're working with colleagues at DFT and Network Rail to make sure that where there are opportunities to uh, make improvements to the rail timetables that we get absolutely the best we can and the reason why is well if you look at the numbers what's interesting is that in terms of uh, the return of passengers to the rail network the north is ahead of the curve we're actually seeing passenger numbers come back to the railways in the north far faster and in greater numbers than elsewhere in the uh, in the in the country and that probably reflects the importance of rail to our communities and to our businesses so things like the Manchester corridor where we've been working to kind of see just how much we can get onto that corridor it won't be what we had before because that wasn't reliable. So it's that balance act between getting as much as we possibly can so we've got the capacity, but not getting to a point where we've got an unreliable service. So that's obviously quite a, a challenge at the moment. And and I, I, I feel that we're kind of making some progress there and, and hopefully we'll see some of that come through in the autumn. Um, you touched on earlier, Gemma, about how uh, the clarity that uh, the publication of the integrated rail plan will bring is, is obviously something we need to uh, be focused on and whilst we're still waiting for that to be published and hopefully it'll come uh, later this autumn uh, we're making sure that the team are continuing to lay down some of the foundations some of the work that needs to be done whatever uh, the way forward so that when we get that clarity from the uh, the plan being published then um, we can actually move on as fast as we possibly can uh, I'm sure that there'll be still a debate about some of the longer term ambitions but the point is let's crack on with getting things delivered so we are making a difference once we've got that clarity and that's a again a key role for us to do working collaboratively with uh, with all of our partners and then we get into some of the strategies and and we've recently seen the the consultation on the decarbonization strategy being uh, concluded and by all accounts it's been uh, a very uh, popular consultation. Uh, I think last time I spoke to the team, it's well over 200 responses. And and of course, we've got to remember this is this is both a an environmental uh, necessity, 
but an economic opportunity. And if you think about some of the the things that are happening, for good for goodness sake, we've got the 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 the, the, the DFTs transport hydrogen hub in the Tees Valley. So the center of some of the thinking around hydrogen right here in the north. Uh, and if we go to the other side of the coast, uh, we go to the west coast, we've got some of the clean technologies coming through there, which are absolutely vital in achieving the decarbonization. But they're the engines of a 21st century economy. And they're here in the north. And so we need to harness them, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of, of, of the UK. And, and then later this autumn, we'll have our freight logistics uh, strategy. And it's always struck me, one of the challenges that uh, the transport profession has is we, we talk about the importance of transport for the economy and realizing economic potential. But I don't think we give enough priority sometimes into our proposals for understanding what freight and logistics actually needs. We, we often default to thinking about people and there's that's right they've got a you know that's an important part of it but if we think about the pandemic you know uh, it was the freight logistics sector that kept food on the shelves it was the freight logistics sector that get the hospitals stocked with the supplies they needed so it's really at the heart of uh, of our society and of course as consumers Gemma we've all many of us have got used to ordering things online um, so the fleet of yeah white vans that bring those things to us are changing the nature of freight and logistics. And so, again, coming back to what I touched on earlier, I, I've often talked in the profession about how we shape tomorrow today and, and, and we need to have an understanding of what we're working with today. But we need to use things like um, the work uh, we're doing through the strategic transport plan to provide that vision of the future that allows us to deliver both that economy and that environmental impact. So those strategies, decarbonisation and freight and logistics are really at the heart of it. And of course, there's a little thing this autumn about the spending review and uh, it's not going to be easy. Um, we've, you know, we've understandably as a country invested heavily in in fighting the pandemic and, and that's absolutely right. Uh, we've now got the challenge of how do we regenerate, if you like, ourselves as an economy to pay for that. And that's where investing in transport to support the economy, to generate the wealth that repays that investment we've made fighting the, uh, the pandemic is so important. So if we're looking to the future, I, I we'll be working with colleagues in the other subnational transport bodies to, to make the argument as to why uh, a multi-year funding settlement gives us the confidence to be able to plan our work, allows us to plan our work cost effectively and allows us to harness the talent that we've got within the team to deliver some of those objectives. If we think a little bit um, bigger picture then, because I know you uh, you obviously have a lot to, to say about that, the importance of that collaboration and bringing voices together. How do we operate in the way that we do and, and what is that sort of wider uh, vision? So in terms of taking a sort of slightly longer term view, I'm a passionate believer, Gemma, that we need to first of all think in terms of what kind of place do we want to have in the future. You touched on it yourself about it's not about transport for transport's sake, it's what kind of place do we want to live in, what kind of community do we do we want to be part of, what businesses do we want to encourage and support. And we need to understand that transport's important to realising those uh, those visions, if you like. But we've got to get better at thinking about how do we 
do things differently to create those 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 and to deliver that vision because doing things the way we've done it we kind of know where we'll end up we it's kind of what we had before the pandemic and we kind of know that wasn't right and it wasn't sustainable so working with the partners having that focus around outcomes uh, understanding if you like that there are opportunities to regenerate and repurpose our town centers and realizing the importance of transport but equally being mindful we need to look up beyond it i often talk about a systems approach and you know, we, we, we want to encourage people to have um, uh, electric vehicles. Well, that means we need to make sure that the investment in the energy power systems is being aligned with what we're doing. We, we, we look to uh, how people can maybe remain connected without having to travel so that it changes the way. Well, that means we need to make sure we're making the investment in the digital connectivity of which for many of our, our, our listeners who perhaps are in more remote areas, digital connectivity is really a challenge, but could open up so many other opportunities. So part of the way forward is to think in terms of systems. We've got a vision of where we want to be. How do we use transport to help allow that? And how do we make sure that the investment in power, the investment in digital connectivity is working alongside us to deliver that, that vision for our communities? And that's where some of the work I've done in the past um, tells me we could do it. Um, I know that the political and the business leaders want to kind of have that holistic approach. So let's harness the talent we've got within the team to make that a possibility. Really interesting to hear you talk there about um, the the. the uh, the different opportunities and I'm glad you referenced the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and you touched on it earlier when we were talking about timetables as well if that has shown us anything is that there are different ways to do things you know for for many people working from home is an option for many it isn't um you know again going back to what you were saying about freight and logistics you know how aware were we all of a sudden literally overnight of the importance of of that sector um how has that pandemic affected rail travel specifically? Um, and I know you will talk about freight as well as passengers. Um, and what's Transport for the North doing? How is our role shaping out in terms of encouraging passengers back and getting back to something that was better than it was, not going back to the good old days of um, sardines on pacer trains? So, uh, so look, I mean... Uh... The, the rail sector probably out of all the transport sectors has had the sort of has seen some of the biggest impacts and, and understandably because uh, for many people uh, the rail system is a way of getting uh, to their place of work or or to meeting friends and families or having days out or what have you um, and understandably um, when we had the uh, the lockdowns and that sense about needing to be uh, you know go through that period um, We've seen, we saw passengers on rail services decline quite dramatically. What's interesting, and I think, again, it reinforces the importance of rail as part of our, um, uh, as part of our, um, uh, our transport system in the north, is how quickly we've seen people come back. And I think the, the more recent campaigns about encouraging people to come back, giving confidence that uh, the services are, are safe to use, um, is really kind of good to see. We still need to challenge or address some of the challenges around 
giving um, confidence to people that the the journeys are going to be reliable um give them confidence that the the services are going to offer good value for money um to be giving them confidence that actually it's going to be safe to travel on the trains and and i think we'll continue as we have done through things like the rail north partnership to make sure that we're playing our part to support the rail industry uh to 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 find that recovery but i'm in no doubt that um the, you know we're going to see the pressures on our rail services return quite quickly and so the reasons as to why it's important to invest in our rail hasn't gone away and if we think about the opportunity to decarbonize our transport system whether it's passenger services or freight logistics investing in electrified uh, rail services is going to be absolutely at the heart of what we're uh, what we're about and i think if we can provide that leadership there what that then allows the leaders of the uh, the combined authorities and the other local authorities in our region is to plan with more confidence the local connections the walking the cycling routes the bus routes that actually get you to and from uh, the rail station but here again we kind of need to broaden our thinking Gemma to understanding we're not just investing in railways because it's good for people to move on them they are an anchor for investors in uh, in in office blocks or in businesses or in growth in our city centers it's a catalyst for change that we want to realize for our city centers whether it's leeds bradford manchester liverpool uh, in the northeast or what have you we need to see these centers being repurposed and regenerated and the investment in the heavy rail is a fundamental part of giving the confidence to the investors in the big uh, international firms that this is a place to come we've heard a lot of talk about rail reform over the past year in particular with the publication of the william shapps plan for rail and the outline of the, the new great british railways body in terms of as you were saying there regarding that need for investment how does rail reform and, and those plans that are outlined fit into that and again where does TFN take a, a really active role in, in in that area of work so I've I've said time and again the that the agenda for reform that the William Shapps plan for rail sets out is absolutely the right thing and and in some respects probably the north is best place to be able to say that because we saw the consequences of that mismatch between planning for rail services and planning for infrastructure going horribly awry in 2018 and so bringing that back together and having that one system approach to uh, the to the planning the delivery and the implementation of railway is absolutely the right thing to do now we've got a huge amount of experience in the north already with working on on this and so the work we've done through the rail north partnership working with the department to let the franchises and then manage them dealing with the challenges we've got real experience there and then through the rail north committee we've got that working with the political leadership to understand where the priorities for investment and how do we make some of the choices that need to be made so i think that from a, a rail industry perspective we've got some really good building blocks on which to, to 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 offer advice and guidance that can shape the way forward but we've also got 
through the work on the strategic transport plan, the ability to say, and this is what we need rail to do for the next 30 years. So it's not just about, again, saying, let's invest in railways because it's a good thing to do. It's actually saying, no, if we're delivering this, uh, if we're going to deliver 100 billion pounds extra GVA, if we're going to deliver 850,000 jobs, we need the railway system to deliver more. We need to connect businesses to markets. We need to connect people with job opportunities. So that strategic transport plan, evidence-based, vision-led, the North's plan for the North, gives us the way of actually feeding into that whole industry plan. And so what we're working on as a team at the moment is how can we work with the transition team to use our experience to say, well, look, here's how we need to set ourselves up to be able to deliver this outcome. It's the, it's the classic thing, Gemma, of form needs to follow function. And if we can work together to agree the outcomes, use our experience, I think we can help the government deliver that agenda for change. And I'd like to see us being pushing for it to happen as quickly as possible because the benefits are for the residents and the businesses. And of course, if we grow the rail market, we're actually helping the economy and reducing the burden on the taxpayer. To take the rail uh, discussion further still and onto our flagship rail programme, Northern Powerhouse Rail, again, we referenced earlier on in the podcast the importance of the integrated rail plan, which we are awaiting publication of. Hopefully that will come to us uh, very soon. Um, what would be your main messages for why we need Northern Powerhouse Rail to be delivered in full? Um, and what are your thoughts on what we can expect out of the uh, the IRP? So the reason why it's, it, it, it is the transformational uh, infrastructure programme uh, for the North, and, and it's and it's the transformational one because it, it is the it is the way to connect our places and our people with those services and those opportunities, and and in particular why it's so transformational is because it's tackling some of the biggest challenges like the the the, the dearth of good east west connectivity. Um, it connects the centres of employment and opportunities to other areas and to residential areas. It is that one opportunity to kind of redefine how our transport system works and, and move away from, um, uh, certainly when it comes to rail, that that sort of legacy that we've got where most of the main lines look to the to the north and the south. So it's, it is transformational, and as I've touched on earlier, it's, it's the way in which it acts as a catalyst and gives confidence to investors, business investors to come to our city centres and our town centres. In terms of the integrated rail plan, I think the most important thing here is to have some clarity around um, how we move forward. Um, I kind of touched on earlier, you know, we've set out what we think is necessary uh, to realise our, our, our opportunities and our potential. Uh, government will need to take that ambition and balance it with other competing pressures. So I suspect that we'll end up looking to uh, to some areas where we can agree that we just need to crack on and get on with it. But we'll need to continue then to work with government to map out how we realise the full ambition, but do it in a way that's affordable and deliverable over the longer term. And that's again why TFN is important. It's not just about what happens in the here and now, although we play a key role in helping that happen, but how do we then build upon that and continue to make the case for future investment? And that's where, again, 
it's the it's the technical knowledge it's the it's the experience that's held by the team that sits within tfn which is going to be absolutely essential in terms of capturing the success of what we're doing now and using that to say and if you do even more well here's what we could achieve beyond that I don't want to dig too much into the uh, detail on Northern Powerhouse Rail for anyone who's a regular listener of the podcast. We did speak to our Northern Powerhouse Rail director, Tim Wood, quite recently. So if you head over to our website, you'll be able to go and listen back to that episode. Uh, and of course, as soon as the uh, the IRP lands, we will be bringing you all the all the news and the insights into that and our uh, reactions as well. Um, Martin, let's go back to slightly more bigger picture. Um, and I want to talk about the Northern Transport Charter. Now, many of our listeners probably won't uh, be aware of the Northern Transport Charter. Um, it was agreed by our board uh, summer 2020, actually, in terms of a, a, a sort of guiding document. It sets out the direction for transport for the north for the coming years. There's four pillars that underpin it, which um, you can run through for us. So tell us about the, the Northern Transport Charter, uh, what that does and why it's important to, to have, a, have a, a grounding document like this. Well, it's important because it's the way that we turn a strategy into things on the ground. Um, it's great to have strategies, but if you don't actually deliver them, then they don't have their desired effect. So at the heart of the transport chart, it puts the user at the heart of what we do. And and we've kind of touched on it a little bit through through this conversation, Gemma, how circumstances, whether it's because of the growth of the Internet or whether it's pandemic, the way we as individuals consume things or we go about our day, it's changing all the time. And it's going to continue changing. It's going to change over the next five years, 10 years, 20 years. So by putting the user at the heart of what we do, we've got at least a fighting chance of making sure that what we're doing is a solution for the 21st century rather than trying to deliver something that was a 20th century problem. Secondly, the charter is about helping turn, as I say, the 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 the, the strategy itself into uh, things on the ground. So that means taking the outcomes that we're trying to achieve, putting the, them into a pipeline, working with our partners to develop the business cases, to develop the, the, the evidence that allows those to proceed to being built so that we kind of make things happen. And we have that pipeline of investment that we can then uh, look to, uh, to to various sources. It doesn't always have to be government. We can look to whatever source is possible to actually deliver it on the ground. Now, the third element of the charter is, is about working with government to get some clarity around the longer term funding because engineers, and I, and I speak as somebody who started off my career as an engineer, engineers are incredibly uh, talented people. They can design you a solution for almost any particular problem. What we need to make it, what we need to do to help them is to say, look, here's the challenge. Here's the question that we're asking. And here's the amount of money that we've got available to spend, because it isn't a, a bottomless pit. We know that. So we've got to make the most use and the best use out of the money that is available. Now, I've worked with political leaders at a regional level for over 20 years. I 
these are leaders who deal with multi-million if not billion pound budgets they make life and death decisions around how to prioritize funding whether it's social services education uh, and everything life-changing investments so they're used to making difficult decisions they're used to making difficult decisions within the context of how much money is available just like the government does so the idea between the, the uh, a funding settlement for the north is to say look we understand there are difficult choices. We understand the need to make uh, to use the money available to best effect. So let us know what we're working with. We'll use our talent to develop the pipeline to be able to deliver the investment that that makes it easier for users. And that's, if you like, comes back to the overarching theme perhaps here about why the charter is so important. It's about making it an inclusive and sustainable north, something where anybody irrespective of your background your location has the opportunity to realize their potential where businesses are able to invest with confidence that they will be able to get people to their work they'll be able to get access to the market where we know that we can deliver the growth but to deliver it in a way that is going to be environmentally sustainable for the longer term Thank you, Martin. That was a really clear and really interesting and really exciting overview of the Northern Transport Charter. One last hot topic that we mustn't leave without discussing. We have touched on it. It's our decarbonisation strategy. The consultation closed recently and as you referenced, we had a fantastic response to that. So many individuals, businesses, organisations, you know, stakeholders, representatives from all over the place feeding back on that consultation. So that will now go through a final round of, of updates and, and working through and be published later on in, in the year. That's one of the many things on that on that priority list for the next few months. Again, uh, for any listeners who've missed it, we have spoken about decarbonisation uh, in full with our uh, our uh, colleague Peter Cole, who leads on that work. So do go and have a listen to that for the full details. But Martin, just touch on for us, from your perspective, why a decarbonisation strategy for the north of England is so important and what it will allow us to do once it's been uh, been approved and published later this year. Well, there's a number of things. First of all, it helps us put make real um, some of the challenges, but also the opportunities that exist with the transport system as we as we as we look to make it uh, uh, a net zero or as close to net zero as we possibly can sooner than the legal requirement. Um, you know, we see it throughout our partners and throughout our communities. The environment is 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 rightly seen as a, a as a as a key issue because. Well, frankly, if it, if you're experiencing extreme weather events more regularly, if your if your house is being at risk of flooding more often, if if the roads are going to be uh, experiencing and the roads at rail are, are going to be experiencing extreme temperatures on a more regular, yeah, you know, these are we can see the consequences, so we know we need to do things differently. Um, the fact that we've done it with with focusing around the future travel scenarios allows us to have a conversation because. Change requires people to understand why we need to change, but they need to also understand what are the opportunities. They need to shape the opportunities. And one of the things that we're exploring as as, as TFN is the is the way in which we can maybe use citizens panels of some nature to actually work with our communities to understand what are the options, what are the consequences, and what would be the best way forward. Because 
Gemma, we've got to be honest. This is not going to be easy. Um, it's a challenge. It is, uh, in some ways, the, the pandemic was an existential threat happening in very real time. In, in other ways, climate change is a similarly existential threat, but it's happening at a kind of a slightly slower pace uh, over time. But the, the trouble is, what we do now kind of has consequences 10, 15, 20 years out. So we're already kind of making decisions today that are going to have consequences into the future. So working with the communities, both the business community or residential communities, we need to have the kind of conversation that allows people to understand the nature of the problem, the scale of the problem, but also the opportunities to do things. And here again, I do go back to how we've seen people react to the pandemic. You know, we have seen people realise that there are other ways you can do things. Now, some of those choices were forced on us at the time and it may be uh, we won't want to make them moving forward, but they does show you can make a difference today, tomorrow and the day after that, that change is possible in a very short period of time whilst having an eye about where do we need to get to in the next 20 years or so. So the strategy and, and I think the fact that so many people have engaged in it tells us that it's, a, it's an area where we need to have those conversations moving forward gives us that foundation on which to have the conversation. And it's interesting that nationally, the department has recognised the fundamental role that subnational transport bodies like Transport for the North have in providing that leadership to join up conversations at a local level, to have that strategic leadership uh, and to work with the government to actually make it real again. You're absolutely right to recognise the importance of it, but also the the challenges that come along with it. And it, it really isn't an easy task, but it, it's one that we absolutely have to, to take action on. So for uh, listeners, we will come back to decarbonisation strategy later on in the year when it's published. We'll get Peter Cole back on to talk us through the, the final outcomes from that and, and where we go next as well. It's definitely not a, not a topic that's going anywhere anytime soon. And, um, does offer challenges but lots of opportunities as well lots of innovative technology we mentioned hydrogen way back at the the start of this podcast somewhere and so many other schemes um ideas electric cars the importance of freight within all of this so on and so forth um martin there is one final thing uh for you to do for us on the podcast and that's to give us a plug for our annual conference, which takes place. Well, you you tell us all about it. No one needs to listen to that. <laughs> it's Monday, the 20th of September uh, in Leeds. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's the third annual conference for, uh, for TFN. Um, as I said, I'm really looking forward to it. it it's going to be an opportunity to meet uh, many of the partners and stakeholders in, in uh, face to face. Uh, but there's also opportunities if uh, if you're not able to to make it to uh, to see the events online, we'll be able to kind of stream it as well. So um, what I think it, will, it it does, it gives us an opportunity to come together again to renew that commitment that we have to make sure that we deliver the ambition that's in the strategic transport plan. It's an opportunity to reflect on some of the things that have happened in the last 18 months or so, uh, things about the progress being made, made with uh, investment in rail in, in the north, the, 
the work we've done on decarbonisation, the work we're doing on developing that pipeline and thinking about how do we find the investment to then deliver it. As I touched on uh, in public sector, the government's got a key role there, but it's not the only source of funding, perhaps. And how do we work to achieve some of that? Um, and so for me, it's a real great opportunity to to come together again and to, as I said to renew that commitment uh, and to to kind of re uh, reinvigorate um, the 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 spirit if you like uh, and to see how we can deliver that ambition deliver growth and deliver the environmental benefits that will come uh, uh, through the approaches that we adopt uh, and I'm really looking forward to it Jeremy because I know it's going to be a fun day it's going to be an exciting day but it's also going to be a quite a challenging day because there's an awful lot to be done. There is an awful lot to be done. There's a, a, a lot to be discussed. It is going to be really, really interesting. I should say that in terms of attending in person, it is now sold out. So please don't try and uh, rock up on the day if you haven't already secured your ticket. But as Martin said, the good news is that everything will be streamed live online. So instead, you can join us from the comfort of wherever you happen to be in the world. So head over to our website, transportforthenorth.com slash annual hyphen conference. You'll see it on the homepage. You'll see it all over our social media feeds anyway. And you can get onto the page on there and sign up and we will send you the link to watch everything live on the day. So that's Monday, the 20th of September. Um, it starts at half 10. It'll go on until around four o'clock so many different sessions. I'm going to give you a really, really quick look at what we will be talking about. We'll be talking about High Speed North. We'll be talking about getting back onto public transport, decarbonisation, of course. We'll be talking about inclusivity. So, so important, something that I know Martin uh, really values. Um, we'll be talking about investment pipelines and the the funding for transport projects and why it's so important to get the right projects funded at the right time. Speakers, whoa, what a long list. Mayor Tracy Brabin of West Yorkshire, the newest mayor in town. She's going to be joining us. Uh, Mayors Andy Burnham and Dan Jarvis are also attending. We've got some fantastic um, other members of our Transport for the North board, as well as a number of industry experts joining us. So there's going to be some fantastic conversations do tune in to watch online if you can. Martin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. No, it's been great, Gemma. And, and like I said, um, uh, my the, the warmth of the welcome I've received has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm clear that uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an awful lot that we've done to date as T, TFN, uh, but there's even more to be done moving forward. Uh, the team is fantastic the political leaders the business leaders who are on the tfn board likewise uh it's a real pleasure to be part of that team um and i'm looking forward to the next uh the next few months and years ahead fantastic well thank you again for for joining us thank you for being so passionate about coming to transport for the north we will hold you to everything that you've said get you back on the podcast in a few months time and we'll see uh, see how things are shaping out i am sure no matter what happens we will still be here making the case for the north as loudly as possible 
In the meantime, make sure you have a look over on our social media channels for all the latest news, things coming through thick and fast, thick and fast, I should say, particularly on Twitter with all the latest updates, particularly at the moment, keep an eye on there for all the latest conference news. We're also on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn as well. And you should find us on all of those channels by searching for Transport for the North. Of course, they're also linked from our website, transportforthenorth.com. And if you're heading down to the bottom of the homepage there to find those social media links, make sure that you also sign up to All Points North. That's our weekly email newsletter where we bring you a digest and a quick roundup of all the top stories from that week. Stay tuned to the podcast as well, of course. Make sure you've subscribed. Leave us a quick review if you get a chance. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe on Spotify and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook for all our latest updates. And join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.